Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, I... um. I got to admit, when I was asked to preach on Senior Recognition Sunday, I had a bit of a panic attack. I, um, I assumed we recognized our seniors around, like, graduation time. So I was afraid that they were asking me to, like, recognize senior citizens or something like that. So I'm, like, in a, in a, I'm freaking out. So I'm asking the staff, like, what do you want me to do? Have all the old people stand up? Are we going to applaud them or something? Like, and everybody was totally fine with that on staff, except Jay. For some reason, he had some big problem with that. I don't understand, but whatever. Good news is Bullet Dodge is just graduating seniors, so that's good. But speaking of well-seasoned people, we're going to be looking at wisdom today. So as we look at wisdom, I'll have you guys open to Proverbs chapter 9. So Proverbs is a book that tells us about the fear of God and how the fear of God unlocks our blessed life now. Now, I didn't stutter. It's not an invitation to our best life now. It's an invitation to a life blessed by God. The fear of God leads us to be blessed by God. And sometimes that doesn't look exactly the way that we would plan for our lives to look, but it is better. And the reason it's better is because we have a choice to make. We can fear God or we can fear literally everything else. And so what we wanna do is look at how the fear of God is actually gospel good news today. And so as we look at the book of Proverbs, we've got to ask ourselves an important question. It's the same question we've got to ask of every biblical book. Who wrote it and why? What's their purpose? What's the meaning of this book? And the book of Proverbs is a really interesting case because it's broken up in a very interesting way. It has the longest introduction I think I've ever seen. The first nine chapters of Proverbs is almost all introduction. And so what he's doing is he's creating this metaphorical story and invites God's people to imagine themselves as part of the story. He says that he is speaking to his son, who is a metaphor for the people of Israel, the children of God that he has chosen. And he's telling them, you have a choice to make. You can either pursue wisdom or you can pursue foolishness. Those are your options. And then after that, you got Chapters 10 through 29, they basically is just a random hodgepodge of wise sayings. There's, there's some like clusters of like themes that are going on throughout it, but it's mainly just a big body of wisdom. And then you've got a couple of chapters at the end. This is a horrendous slide. I did not make this slide, but it does a good job communicating that one. So I used it anyway. So as we look at this, we see Solomon is creating a story in the first nine chapters. He's trying to convince his young son, Israel, to follow wisdom. And Solomon, being the wisest man on the planet at the time, he knows exactly how to get a young man's attention. Girls, right? I'm just going to talk about girls, and then I'll get your attention. And that's what he does. This, This whole first nine chapters, he talks about these two alluring women. You've got woman wisdom, and you've got woman 
folly. And they're both are going to appeal to this young man's anxieties and desires. It's going to appeal towards the longings and hopes and the fears and all the things that drive the young man's life. And the young man is, is God's people. It's us. And so what we want to do is kind of learn more about these two women. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Proverbs chapter nine. Chapter nine is the gateway into the body of Proverbs. It's the summary of these two women where they're talked about most clearly and they're contrasted with each other. So what we'll do is we'll go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. And we will start in chapter nine and look at woman wisdom. Woman wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out the young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me... Your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Now let's contrast that then with woman folly, who's spoken about just a couple of verses later. She's described as this. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes the seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we embark on this journey and find out more about the differences between wisdom and foolishness, God, I pray you would clarify our hearts, that you would calm our distracted minds and that you would allow us to have ears to hear and a heart to believe, and the faith to walk in obedience to what your word has for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the most important detail in understanding what, what Solomon is doing in, in writing this is not who the women are, or even what they're offering, or even the consequences of these women. The most important detail to understand who these women represent in this metaphor is where they live. Trimper Longman, in his commentary on Proverbs, he notices this. He talks about woman wisdom with her heights over her house and the heights overlooking the city. She, he says this, indeed, the Hebrew text stresses that her house is at the highest point of the city. So here we need to transport ourselves to the, you know, the world of the ancient text and say, what is that place? If you're in Jerusalem, you're looking around, sun is you know, at noonday high, it's burning hot, it's in your eyes, you try and find some shade, you finally get some, and you look up, you can finally see, because the sun's not in your eyes, and it's the temple. The temple looms enormously. You can't go anywhere in the city without seeing it at some point. So what we see is woman wisdom is a representation for God himself. She is a definition of who God is. And so who is woman folly in this? If you read carefully, she doesn't live on the highest place. It says she takes a seat in the high places. She doesn't live there. She doesn't belong there. She's an imposter God. She is an idol. She represents the idol, idol shrines that were scattered all throughout Mesopotamia and the Fertile Crescent. 
and the idol shrines that would eventually destroy the nation of Israel. She is an imposter. She makes the promises to us of life, but all of those promises end up leading us only to misery and death and foolishness. And so what Solomon is saying is you have these two women and they're calling you in and asking you to have an intimate relationship with them, which is what a meal represents in the Old Testament. And you have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We, we are essentially P.T. Barnum in The Greatest Showman. Are we gonna be faithful to our beautiful wife, our children, and the values of our lives? Or are we gonna get wrapped up in the, the glamour and prestige that Jenny Lind offers us? Okay, I see that that is too sophisticated. That's fine. I can translate. We are Michael Scott and it's casino night and you've got Jan and Carol and you get to choose which one and Dwight's doing a terrible job running interference. Like we've got a choice. Who are we gonna choose? Are we gonna choose God or idols? Are we gonna choose Jan or Carol? Is it gonna be Jenny or is it gonna be Charity? Who is it gonna be? Okay, Chris, you don't. I get it. Don't worship idols. But what does that look like? I don't understand that, like, how do I know if I'm walking in foolishness or wisdom? Solomon tells us that the key that unlocks the wise life is the fear of God. And so to understand the fear of God, we're gonna look, we're gonna go on a road trip through the the body of Proverbs. We're gonna look at three different major themes that the Proverbs talk about. And we're gonna talk about when we follow fear of idols, it leads us into foolish behavior. So we'll talk about three fears that lead us into foolishness. The first one is the fear of going without. And this leads us to be money stupid. It leads us into foolish behavior with money. And that foolishness is broken down into one of two things. You either live in like luxurious opulence and you rack up a credit card bill and you live with beyond your means and you just are the lazy glutton that takes it all in or You're the greedy miser who buries their talents in the ground and doesn't invest them in the kingdom because you trust in riches and not in God. And these are both foolish behaviors we see in Proverbs 21, 17. Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. 28, 22, greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize that they're headed for poverty. 13, 11, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. 28, 22, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware, unaware that poverty awaits them. See, woman folly understands that we are afraid of going without. And so she taps into our fears and she starts to make promises and paint a picture of the good life that seems almost irresistible to us. We fear missing out. We fear not having the lifestyle represented by our friends. We fear getting to a place in our lives and saying, I've got so much work to do to catch up. We fear subjecting our children to a life that we had to live in poverty growing up. We fear not having enough when trouble comes. And I mean, I can tell you as a a business owner, it is even worse because every time I don't make a dollar, it's nobody's fault but mine. And I drive myself crazy saying, if I would have just worked harder, if I would have just been smarter, if I would have just done this thing, then I wouldn't be suffering. We live in fear. Folly knows this well. That's why she makes these vivid, beautiful pictures that that drag our our imaginations. You know, advertisers understand that the way to our wallet is not through our brains. 
It's through our imagination. Trevin Wax in his book, This Is Our Time, says advertising taps into our longing for wholeness and shopping becomes the religious activity intended to satisfy our deepest needs. I mean, the most iconic uh, example of this I can think of is those Axe body spray commercials from the early 2000s. I mean, they basically like, you don't have to play guitar. You don't have to look good. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be on a sports team. You just have to take this can and spray it on yourself and just girls will dogpile you. It doesn't matter anything about you. And so they capture these, I mean, it definitely captured the imagination of my high school. I couldn't even breathe walking through the locker room. It's horrible. But it's like, you know, Coke doesn't describe what Coke tastes like. They just show you somebody open up a cold Coke on a beach. And you're like, you walk by the Coke at the grocery store and you're like, I feel good right now. I don't know why. And it works on a subconscious level. You just grab a Coke, next thing you know, you're just drinking one on your way out to the car. You don't know why. Because they've tapped into your desire for the good life. You know, the, the advertisers don't tell us to get into a mortgage that we can't afford. They tell us, They just show us pictures of happy families in their modern farm homes, making great memories over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, they're like signing the dotted line. See, when our God is really small, we can't hear his vision of the good life. And so we rope ourselves into problems that are too big for us to handle. And that's why the gospel of the fear of God is, is a beautiful thing and needed for our culture today because it invites us into this beautiful, enchanted world where you're not actually the one that's looking out for you. You're not actually the one that's in charge of making yourself wealthy or poor. There's actually a father in heaven who knows your name and knows every detail of your life and is absolutely in control of every single dollar that comes into your bank account. And he will give to you everything you need, whether you try your hardest or you end up on disability. Whether you have a disaster strike or not, he will care for his people. It's an enchanted world where our God is big and our problems are almost not noticeable. I mean, imagine a world where you don't need money to be happy, right? 15, 16, and 17 says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is the dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened calf with hatred with it. How would our church look like in this community? How would it look different if we would just feel like we don't have to guard our wealth to feel secure in our life, but we could just sow it into the needs of the community around us? We didn't need some specific dollar amount in that account for us to be like, we're okay. 11.24 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. That's saying, you don't even need money to have money. (laughs) Like God will take care of you. How would your life look different if you didn't feel like you needed to appear wealthy? Better to be lowly with a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. How would your marriage and your work life be different if you would confess that you don't provide for yourself. God provides for you. Your job doesn't provide for you. Only God does. It says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Guys, I'm here to tell you, I have tried and tried and tried and tried to make myself rich and it only comes with sorrow. That's the only thing that you get with it. But when you sit back and say, God, 
You make me rich or poor, it doesn't matter. I'm here to give my life as, as just a living sacrifice. You get nothing but joy. How would your vision of your latter years and your retirement change if you would just say, wealth will not deliver me from my greatest fears? 10.22 says, the blessing, oh, sorry, no. 11.4 says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness, it delivers from death itself. If you are in a good standing with God, it doesn't matter what kind of nest egg you got. You will be delivered from death. The fear of going without. Next, we look at romance or the fear of being known. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he noticed an ad on eHarmony. The ad described the perfect match. And it described him as this. It said, someone who will not change me, somebody who will accept me just as I am, someone who will affirm me and not change me and release me to be myself and not shackle me. That's, that's what I guess that algorithm is trying to find. Basically, a bunch of people that are going to be everybody's soulmate. And they're going to complete them. And it's going to be great. And you'll never have a problem because everything about you is actually perfect. Hard to find that person. I've heard from many people. <laughs> Guys, we have created a society that comes into relationships with a deep sense of need, a gigantic hole in our soul that we're trying to fill and make complete. We're trying to find our other half. And so we're placing a burden on our relationships that God never intended to be there. And that's if you're single or if you're married, God never intended our spouses to be the thing that makes us whole. And the Proverbs talks about this, this young man who is driven out of a sense of need into the streets of Israel. And he becomes easy, easy prey for woman folly who just openly seduces him in the streets. He is so in secure within himself, he is looking for validation in any possible place. And so he starts this never-ending quest of romance to try and find meaning and purpose for himself. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like any kind of like culture you may have lived in maybe your entire life? I mean, our culture is insane. We drive ourselves crazy without romantic fulfillment. We don't even know who we are anymore. In her book, um, Christine Hoover describes our app-driven hookup culture. I mean, there's 50 million active Tinder users right now. She describes our hookup culture and says, you know, negotiating intimacy via an app, it takes less time. It takes less social finesse, less mystery, less money, less emotional investment, less everything, really, if you're just looking for a physical encounter. And why is it that we want to skip all of that stuff? I'm going to suggest to you it's because we fear being known it's because we're really just actually uncomfortable with ourselves and we don't want to genuinely be known. We would like the fruit of being fully accepted without the hard work of being truly vulnerable, which is what intimate relationship is meant to be. It's meant to be naked and unashamed. It's meant to be a metaphor for the glory of being fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe. We fear putting ourselves out there. We fear rejection. 
We, we, we fear stepping on the scale. We fear looking in the mirror. We fear sounding ignorant or offensive. We fear all these things because we fear being known for who we truly are because honestly, we're uncomfortable with who we truly are. And so when our God is small, the opinions of other people, especially in our most vulnerable areas, they loom very, very large, whether you're married or single. I mean, God could be literally pursuing you as his bride and you will just drive yourself crazy with insecurity. The God of heaven could be in heaven right now singing over you and rejoicing. He could be cherishing you as his daughter and it doesn't matter because his voice is so small because his voice is so quiet because we are looking for validation through romance everywhere around us. And what's so beautiful about the gospel, the fear of God, it makes the voice of God, the acceptance of God loud and resound loud so that every voice around us doesn't define us, but the voice of God defines us. Our culture is so in need of the fear of God right now because if they don't have it, they will try and find meaning and personal identity in absolutely everything else. But what's interesting is that, that, that the book of Proverbs doesn't tell us to abandon our desires. It doesn't say desire's the problem. He says, be, be intoxicated with the wife of your youth, which yes, that is a call to marital faithfulness. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. But in the first nine chapters, that's also a call for the nation of Israel to be faithful and intoxicated with the love of God that they would find identity and purpose in the affections they have for Jesus and the sweet and tender affection Jesus has for us. God and the Bible and Paul and Solomon, none of them are anti-desire. They are anti-disoriented desire. And guys, we are in a culture with disoriented desire right now. We would say that marriage is between a man and a woman in covenant faithfulship, uh, covenant faith in membership of marriage. And that's the rightful place of sexual intimacy. But I'm here to tell you right now that the reason our culture has gone so crazy in the sexual revolution, it's not because they just are rebellious people. It's because they are empty people. They are looking for a sense of wholeness. And so I'm here to tell you that it does not matter if you are gay or straight or bi or genderqueer, gender nonconforming. The reality is you could be as straight as the day is long, but your sexual orientation is still broken if you're looking for a sense of wholeness in anybody other than God as our creator. You have distorted the good gift of human sexuality and created for yourself something that it was not designed to be. And so you will always be insecure. God in, invites us into a world where we are fully known and fully accepted by the God of the universe because of the blood of Jesus. And so we can be naked and unashamed in our, in our, in our relationship with our spouse. And we don't need another person to complete us. Our last section we'll talk about is our tongues, our words, the language that we use. This is driven by the fear of being forgotten. 
I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was really convicted looking at this. There's a really clear picture that the Proverbs paint of the foolish person. It's just somebody who cannot keep their mouth shut. They just can't stop talking. I mean, look at this. 18.7 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are the snare of his soul. 18.2, the fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. 10.18, when, when words are many, there's plenty of sin, but a sensible person keeps his mouth shut. And I've thought about my own conversation tendencies this week, and I've just reflected. There's been conversation after conversation that I have had where I just get to the end of it. I'm like, I haven't asked this person a single thing about their life. I just have talked about me and my problems the entire time. And I'm convinced that it's rooted in fear. I'm afraid that the things that I'm suffering from will be invisible to the people around me that I'll be in, insignificant, that I won't matter. And so I approach so many of my conversations with a sense of desperate need to be seen. And instead of taking all of my needs and laying them at my father's feet, I carry them with me everywhere and I burden the shoulders of my friends. How free would I be if I just talked to my father about my problems more? How much better would my life be if I would just pray for once, right? Has anybody ever been there? It's like a week goes by. You're like, man, I should probably like pray about something. Anyway, if you haven't been there, I'm just the only sinner. It's okay. It's fine. Ray Ortland talks about the, uh, the gospel of the fear of God. He describes the two types of people. You can walk into a room with one of two types of energy. You can even either walk into the room with the energy of saying, here I am, or you can walk into a room with the energy of, there you are. And those two types of people are very, very different. One comes in with a sense of need for validation. The other one comes into a room with a sense of fullness to share. And I imagine, what would Jesus be like? Would he come into the room and be like, here I am. And I mean, I get that he has actually said that in the past, but that's not my point. Um, my point is when... When he walks in the room, I think the thing that makes Jesus great is that he sees you and he knows everything about your life. And when he sees you, he's like, there you are. And he approaches you and he shows you gentle love and compassion. I think that's what makes the I am so great. The, um, the Proverbs tell a picture of a person who's there for others with his words. Chapter 10, 11 says, the mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I have no idea what that looks like, but it sounds beautiful. Absolutely. Now, the, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, uh, Truett, Kathy, he has this great, great quote that I have heard a couple times from my old boss and mentor. And he says, how do you know if somebody needs encouragement? If they're breathing, if they are breathing, they need encouragement. And I think he is dead right. Because I've, even between services, I was talking to somebody who said, they, they said just a simple word, look somebody in the eye as a cashier and said a simple word of encouragement to them. And the person just started crying. I mean, everybody around here is trying so hard just to stay alive in this broken world. And just to be recognized and seen for any of us when we're honest is just enough to melt us. 
I mean, let's just take a moment and just consider the discouragement that's represented in this room alone. I mean, we're discouraged by the state of our homes, our, our parenting. We're, we're, we're discouraged by our grades. We're discouraged by our relationships. Our sin discourages us. Our pasts discourage us. Our futures our bills, everything it seems like in this world is just weighing so heavy. It's enough to probably crush us if we think about it long enough. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. <laughs> Guys, as a church, can we, just, can we just vow to use our words not to take, but to give to people? Can we encourage, can we encourage our children instead of chastising them? Can we encourage our bosses instead of being disgruntled? Can we encourage our pastors instead of nitpicking them? Can we encourage the barista? Can we encourage the waitstaff, the mechanic? Can we encourage the cashier? Can we just be a fountain of life in this dry desert of a broken world that we live in? Because I think that's exactly what Jesus would be like. As we wrap up and the band joins me on stage, I know that there's probably a tension building in a lot of you guys. You guys are like, man, I have tried this, all right? I thought I was gonna hear something new, but I have tried to trust God and not riches. I have tried to be kind. I have tried to be encouraging. I've tried all this stuff, but I just feel like as I think about how it's been going for me, all I see is my failures in these areas. I don't feel like I have any hope of walking in the fear of God. I've tried and tried and tried, and my life looks nothing like the book of Proverbs describes. I want to tell you about a story of a young missionary. He um, is a lot like you guys. He grew up in a religious home. He was involved in church from a young age. He was a dedicated, hardworking young man. He actually took over his father's business from a young age. And um, he worked it like a champ. He was very successful everywhere he went. But he felt like God had more for him. So he gave up the business. He became a, a missionary in the Middle East. He went there with a team of people and he tried to follow God with everything that he did. He tried to do it all right. And yet his life did not end up looking like the book of Proverbs. In fact, his whole ministry team ended up leaving the field. And even the government in that nation had it out for him. They ended up imprisoning him falsely and he became a martyr of the faith. Now, his life wasn't what we expected it to be, but he became very, very well-known. We all probably have heard about this missionary. He's been called by a lot of names. He's been called the wisdom of God, wise counselor. He's been called the way, the truth, the life. He's, when he arrived, they said, someone greater than Solomon is here. They said, his delight is in the fear of God. He's the prince of peace. He's the way, the truth, the light. He's the door. He's mighty God. See, guys, Jesus never was consumed with the fears that cripple us. He lived a life completely liberated from those fears. I mean, he didn't worship mammon or money. He worshiped God, but he still had no place to lay his head. He came as the faithful bridegroom of the church and his own people did not accept him. He died as an outcast on the outside of the city of God. 
Even when he was being led to the slaughter, he like a a lamb that was led to the shears, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't justify himself. He didn't use his words to gain for himself. He used his words to give. Why? Why would Jesus subject himself to all of the curses that we are afraid of most? Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 2 tells us he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, we have been through the fear of death subject to lifelong slavery of idols and foolishness. And Jesus came as the wisdom of God and died for our stupid lives so that we would be freed to be anxious for nothing. As we finish up in song, I want to mention um, the Restore Conference that's coming up. It is a great, great opportunity. There's plenty of tickets left. Members save 10% and there is financial help for anybody who needs it. This is a great opportunity for women to come together and to discuss health and wholeness from a biblical perspective with um, licensed clinicians in this area that are love Jesus and love health. I think it'd be great. It'd be a great way to use our words to encourage our friends. Invite a friend. And lastly, um, as we get ready to wrap up and before I pray, I'd like to say that we have a ministry team. If there's anything God has spoken to you directly about, we're gonna have a ministry team down at the front and at the back and they'll have lanyards on. I'll be down in the front as well. If there's anything you'd like to talk about or pray over, or even if you just need a word of encouragement, we are here for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wisdom and thank you for dying for our foolishness. We pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom so we walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.